Psalm 116, beginning in verse 12, the psalmist asks a question. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? Then he answers that question. I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Famous pastor and Bible teacher Matthew Henry was once robbed on the way to a meeting. The next day, he wrote of his experience in his diary. He said, let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my wallet, they didn't take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. Now, how's that for looking on the bright side? No matter how grim and gloomy your circumstances are today, if we look hard enough, we all have something for which we can be thankful. It's been said, if we pause to think, we'll have cause to thank. If you're having trouble this morning finding some reasons for which to be grateful, I have a few suggestions for you. First, if you can't pay your bills, just be thankful you're not one of your creditors. You can be thankful only you and God have all the facts about yourself. Isn't that the truth? Even though you haven't gotten all you want, you can be thankful you haven't gotten what you deserve. If you can't be thankful for what you've received, at least you can be thankful for what you've escaped. And lastly, we all can be thankful for many blinds. If it weren't for them, it'd be curtains for all of us. Hey, once a teacher, she asked her fourth grade students to name one thing for which they were thankful. Most of the kids listed their pets or their parents or their possessions. But one little boy responded, I'm thankful for my glasses. They keep me out of a lot of trouble. Well, the teacher was perplexed. She asked the little guy, how do your glasses keep you out of trouble? That's when the little fella, he said, they keep the boys from beating me up and the girls from kissing me. We all should have an attitude of gratitude. And this is especially true of us who are Americans. Man, if you've traveled abroad, you realize that what most Americans scrape off their plate after the meal and send down the garbage disposal would be considered by three-fifths of the world's population a feast fit for a king. When President Coolidge issued his Thanksgiving Day proclamation, he said this, we have been a most favored people. We ought to be a most thankful people. We live in a country that has truly been blessed by God. Americans have much for which to be thankful. And if that's true for Americans, it is especially true for Christians. For of all the people in the world, none should be more thankful than those of us who know Jesus. Folks who have tasted God's wonderful grace. Did you know the term gratitude is from the root word grace? Gratitude should be our response to God's amazing grace. As God has been gracious to us, we should be grateful to him. Hey, think of all that God has done for us. He spared not his only son. He's given us life, 
new and never ending, full and free, holy and happy. Add to that a complete pardon, a new birth, abounding love, a steadying peace, the presence of his spirit, a supernatural strength, special gifts and callings, brothers and sisters in Christ, even a home in heaven. With all that God has done for you and me, the least we can do is be thankful. Bible commentator William Heslop once wrote, to save such a sinner as I, God shall never hear the end of it. That should be our sentiment as well. My mom believed in writing thank you notes. When we got a gift, we were expected to sit down and to write a thank you. And I hated it. I'd rather be outside playing football or ride my bike. Most of the time, I'd already said thank you anyway. I figured that was enough, but not for mom. She believed you weren't really thankful unless you took the time and made the effort to express your gratitude in a tangible way. If I ask you, are you thankful for all that God has done for you? I'm sure 99% of you would reply, of course I'm thankful. Who isn't thankful? God is good. But are we thankful enough to express that thanks? I heard the courageous yet tragic story of Edward Spencer. Ned was a Bible college student strolling along the shores of Lake Michigan one day when he saw a boat full of passengers sinking in the cold, choppy waters. With no consideration of his own safety, Ned bravely dove into the icy waters. He swam out into the lake and back a total of 16 times that day, rescuing 17 people. After everyone was safe, Ned collapsed on the beach from exhaustion. He never really fully recovered from his ordeal. Complications set in that stunted his health. And though he was a hero that day, his health concerns kept Ned from pursuing full-time ministry in the future. But as if that wasn't tragic enough, to make matters worse, not one of the 17 people Ned Spencer plucked from Lake Michigan that day ever found him to say thanks. Now, I'm sure if you had tracked down each person, I'm sure they would have said that they were grateful. But no one had bothered to express their gratitude to Ned. Hey, Jesus has made a far greater sacrifice for us than Ned did in rescuing those people from the lake. Jesus has rescued us from the lake of fire, from eternal damnation. But have we taken the time and made the effort to say thanks to him. In Luke 17, Jesus entered a certain village. In 10 lepers, they approached him. They were crying out for mercy. He healed all 10 lepers. And as soon as he did, they all raced off to the priest to be pronounced clean and to begin their new lives. Only one man bothered to return and thank Jesus for the miracle. And that's when Jesus asked, were there not 10 cleansed? But where are the nine? Today, millions the world over have been recipients of the grace and mercy of Jesus. But we can still hear him ask, didn't I heal John and Jim? Didn't I save Andy and Becky? Didn't I comfort Bob and Ashley? But where are they? And here's the question for us. Are we among the nine? Nowhere to be found? 
Or are you and I among the few who have taken the time to say thanks? On the bus one day, a man gave up his seat to a lady. His act of courtesy so shocked the woman she fainted. She wasn't used to gracious men. But when the lady was revived, she thanked the man for her kindness, his kindness. Her gratitude so shocked him, he fainted. (laughs) Neither the man nor the woman was used to gracious and grateful people, and they were shocked by their expressions. I wonder if God would be shocked today if we stop complaining about our spouse and our job and our kids and our neighbors and the coach of the Georgia Bulldogs and simply just took some time and made an effort to say thanks to God for all the blessings he's lavished upon us. Would God be shocked? Well, here in Psalm 116, the psalmist tells us how to say thanks to God. Verse 12 asks the question, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? In other words, what does God prefer in the way of a thank you? Does God want a thank you note? Maybe a card from us? Maybe some flowers? How do you say to the Almighty God that we're thankful for all his benefits? Hey, if I'm going to spend some time on this and make an effort into expressing my thanks, then I surely want to express my gratitude in a way that will please the Lord, in a way he'll appreciate. Well, this morning's text supplies us to three ways that we can say thanks to God. He says, first, take up the cup of salvation. Second, call upon the name of the Lord. And then third, pay your vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Let's take a closer look at Psalm 116 and learn how to say thanks to God. To me, verse 13 offers a truly strange means of expressing thanks. The psalmist answers, I will take up the cup of salvation, but recall the question, what shall I render or give to God for all his benefits? Now, this is interesting. Here he tells us to give by instructing us to take. I give to God by taking? It really does sound strange until I think it through. For what can I really give to God that he doesn't already possess? See, God is the one person on the earth who really does need nothing. There are some folks on my Christmas list who are difficult to buy for because they already have everything I can afford to give them. And this is true with God. In Acts 17, verses 24 and 25, Paul said to the Athenians, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything. The one true God is in need of nada. He possesses all things. Psalm 50 says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That means my scrawny sacrifice doesn't impress him very much. I was at a Christmas party once when someone suggested that we go around the room and share what we were going to give to God that year for Christmas. Well, most of us talked of giving God more of our time or money or energy. And then it came my friend's turn. He shocked the group by announcing that he had nothing to give to God. When someone asked him why, he said, because God already owns everything I've got. 
realize true gratitude begins with a frustration. God has given us so much, yet there's nothing that we can give to him. All we can do is to take what he's given us and allow it to accomplish its intended purpose in our lives. You see, we thank God for his blessings when we enjoy them to the fullest. If you want to say thanks to God, take up the goblet of grace, pick up that mug of mercy, put it to your lips, and drink every single drop. The cup of salvation brims with blessing. It's heavy with heaven. David was speaking of this cup in the shepherd's psalm, Psalm 23. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We need to savor every single drop of God's blessing. If you want to say thanks to God, you do so by taking advantage of his many and marvelous gifts. Think of it. God journeying from the heights of heaven to the depths of this earth. From the crib to the cross. From a cold, dark tomb to a throne in heaven. Just to bring you and I blessings untold. The least we can do is open up our hearts and receive his goodness toward us. Try to compensate God for his gifts and you only devalue them. If we could earn God's blessings, it would cheapen the price God paid to acquire them. As the poet put it, the best return for one like me, so wretched to the core, is from God's gifts to draw a plea and ask him still for more. If you want to say thanks to God, then ask him for more. Turn up the cup of salvation and take a deep, long drink. My grandma, she was a southern gourmet. Grandma Adams could whip up a scrumptious meal in the blink of an eye. Black-eyed peas and juicy collard greens and cornbread and hot buttered grits and okra, fried okra, biscuits with real thick gravy, fried chicken that just would melt in your mouth, and all the extras, I'm telling you. Now, if you're not a native southerner, that might not really impress you. But trust me, if you had ever sampled my grandma's cooking, you would be an admirer. I mean, she was amazing. When a visitor came to her house, no matter the time of day, she'd start dinner. She'd invite you to the table. Before you knew it, she had served up a banquet fit for a king. And she would take nothing for it. If you tried to pay her, she'd be insulted. The only way you could say thanks to my grandma was to clean your plate. My grandma's reward for cooking was the joy of seeing somebody scarf up her vittles and come roaring back for more. The greatest insult was to nibble a bit, then sort of push your plate aside as if you didn't like it. And that's the way it is with God's blessings. When we clean our plate and ask for more, we're saying thanks to God. But when we don't have time to eat, when we fill up on other stuff, the stuff of this world, we break God's heart. We insult God when we fill up on junk food, the junk food of this world, and we don't leave room for his blessings. When we feed on the garbage that this world offers and don't bring our appetites to his table, this is how we insult him. Here's a great quote. This is the height of all madness. This is the lowest depth of all sin. God spares not his only son, and we stand with our hands folded on our chest. How dare us? 
You say thanks to God by grabbing every single blessing he has for you. Don't waste God's grace. Turn up the cup of salvation and savor every single drop. Well, here's a second way to say thanks to God. Notice again verse 13. We're told to call upon the name of the Lord. When trouble strikes, when a need arises, we say thanks to God by calling on him for help. Now again, this sounds like a selfish way to express our thanks. You would think we would do for God rather than ask God to do for us. But again, what can we really do for God that he can't do a better job of himself? You know, when a daddy involves his toddler in a project, he's not doing it because he needs the kid's help. If anything, the child is going to slow him down and get in his way. No, dad gets his toddler to, quote, help him because he enjoys the child's company. And he wants to use the task to teach the child a skill, perhaps. And this is why God involves us in his work. God doesn't need you or me. When we serve God, we're not doing God a favor. He's doing us a favor. We say thanks to God, not by helping him, but by asking for his help. You know, when my kids were younger and they got into trouble, they didn't search the yellow pages for the nearest PhD. They didn't canvas the university for an expert in the field. They didn't even dial 911. You know what they did when they had a problem? They called DAD. They ran to dad and they expected him to take over the situation and salvage a solution. And I wouldn't have had it any other way. Nothing flatters a father more than when a child turns instinctively to him for help. And the same is true with God. If you really want to say thanks to God, make him your first retreat in times of trouble, not your last resort. Let me give you another illustration. What if you find an automobile mechanic who does great work? He's fair. He's honest. He's efficient. How do you say thanks to that mechanic? Do you send him a little thank you note? Or a pick-me-up bouquet? No way. You try that with a macho mechanic, he might just slug you in the mouth. No, no. The way you say thanks to that mechanic, what he wants most is your return business. So that when the next time your car breaks down... If you look up another mechanic, he'll assume you weren't satisfied with his service. But if he's the first person you call to help you with your car, that mechanic will know that you appreciate his work. Let me ask you, when you're sick, what's your first reaction? Take a Tylenol? Call the doctor? Or do you pray? Do you run to God for his healing and his intervention? When you're lonely, what's your first response? Call a friend? Take in a movie? Visit a bar? Or do you open your Bible and renew your fellowship with the Lord? When business dips, what's your first remedy? Increase marketing? Downsize a labor force? Hire a consultant? Or do you trust God for his blessing? And when you're tired and weary, what do you seek out? Do you watch TV and just kind of veg out? Go on a vacation? Or do you ask God for his peace and his rest? See, the psalmist tells us that we say thanks to God by calling on the name of the Lord. For many years when my kids were working their way through college, I would proofread their English composition papers. 
First it was Natalie, and then it was Nick, and then it was Mac. Well, the kids figured out that it was really nice to have an author in the family who could review their papers before they turned them in. And so they would email me the paper at 10 o'clock the night before the assignment was due the next day. And I would usually mumble to Kathy, you know, what do these kids expect me to do? Just lay aside whatever I'm doing and help them out at a moment's notice? Now, that's what I would say, but that's not how I felt. I was glad that they wanted my help. In fact, I would have been insulted if they had ever stopped. The only time reviewing one of those papers ever bothered me was when we got it back from the teacher and it had a C minus on it. I got a C minus on their composition paper? Give me a break. Hey, but when my kids ran to me for help, I felt loved and trusted and appreciated. I'm glad they wanted my input. And this is how God feels when we call on him. Did you hear about the couple that got married at the travel agency? As it turns out, she was looking for a getaway, and he was her last resort. (laughs) Is the Lord your last resort, or is he your first retreat? You say thanks to God by calling on the name of the Lord. And then the third way the psalmist tells us that we can say thanks to God is by paying our vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. The writer of Psalm 116 was so thankful to God that he would take his little lamb, the pick of the litter, and he would parade it through the streets of Jerusalem up to the temple to offer it as a sacrifice without regards to the opinions of other people, simply overwhelmed with his love and enthusiasm for God. The psalmist would go up to the temple and he would offer that sacrifice openly and publicly before the community. And if we are truly thankful to God, we too will go public with our praise. You know, Jesus told us that when we pray, we should go into our closet and we should close the door behind us. Prayer is a private act. But when we praise God, we need to roll down the windows. Whisper your prayers, but shout out your praise so all can hear. Psalm 107 verse 2 says it clearly. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Hey, we live in a day when every blasphemous, godless evil imaginable gets drug out in the light of day and paraded across the television screen. People flaunt their sacrilege and spew their irreverence. There's no shame anymore. It's about time that we who are grateful to God grew just as bold and just as vocal. Let's stop acting as if we're ashamed of God. Let's go out into the marketplace. Let's let this world know that our success is due to God's blessing. Praise and thanksgiving need to go public. I've never known much about cars. While other boys had their heads under the hood tinkering on the engine, I was off somewhere dribbling a basketball. I know where the key goes. Although I've discovered some of them don't even have key, keys in you. But I know where the key goes. I know the pedal to push to make it go, the gas pedal. But that's about the extent of my mechanical prowess. When it comes to automobiles, I'm pretty ignorant. But understand a vital truth. Even though I might be ignorant, I sure don't like having to admit it. 
You see, engines in Greece are macho stuff. A man should know his way around the engine block. No self-respecting man wants to be known as mechanically illiterate. I'll never forget the day. The day I was exposed and humiliated. Right after Kathy and I got married, we made a trip to North Lake Mall. Well, we were just about to leave when the car wouldn't start. And so I popped the hood. Now, don't misunderstand. I wasn't going to do anything. I mean, I I wasn't going to fix anything. I just knew that when your car doesn't start, that's what you do. You pop the hood. But then a horrible thing happened. Two guys started walking over to try to help me out. I couldn't let them know how inept I was. And so I grabbed a screwdriver and I started fiddling around, you know, hitting stuff, you know, just banging on stuff, you know, sticking my hand down in there, just messing around, you know, pretending I knew what I was doing. I didn't think it could get any worse, but it did. For all of a sudden, my little wife, she gets out of the car. She walks right around in front of these two grown adult men. She takes the screwdriver out of my hand and she plays Mrs. Goodwrench. In broad daylight, she proceeds to fix the car. I was so humiliated. My wife knew more about cars than I did. And two other men now had the evidence. I should have been thankful. In fact, later that night, I thanked Kathy privately. But publicly, in that moment, I was so embarrassed. And this is the problem with some people have in their relationship with God. You see, privately, they'll thank God, but publicly, they would rather everyone think they were able to do it themselves. Humans don't like broadcasting to others their ineptitude and their dependence. Why is that? Why is it so hard to admit our weaknesses? You see, none of us are truly independent and self-sufficient people. There is no such thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman. Hey, you were in debt the moment you entered this world. On the day you were born, you already owed somebody nine months room and board. You did. Psalm 100 verse 3 tells us that we all owe God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We depend on our God for the air we breathe and for our next breath. Why is it so hard for us to be honest about our dependence on God and go public with our praise, I'll tell you the problem. It's pride. Pride slays thanksgiving. A proud person hates to say thanks. For if he or she does, it shatters the illusion that they're in control. See, gratitude is the admission that I have a need that I can't meet. We've all got those needs. So who's fooling who? It's just so freeing to drop the facade and be grateful. The tribes of East Africa, they have an unusual way to say thank you. The Maasai tribe of Kenya, they'll bow their heads to the dirt, into the ground, and they will say, my head is in the dirt. Members from another tribe, they sit on the ground for a long time before the hut of the person to whom they're thankful. They say, I sit on the ground before you. See, these Africans understand a truth that makes gratitude so difficult for us. They realize that true thanksgiving is first and foremost an act of humility. 
psalmist contends that we're not really thankful, not really grateful to God unless we're willing to lay aside our pride and to go public with our praise. True thanksgiving won't be intimidated by the sneers or slights or scowls of other people. It'll still rise up even when looked down on. Robert Walpole was Britain's first prime minister. But his administration fell because he was betrayed by former friends who voted him out of office. Walpole sat in the House of Commons the day its members cast the vote to bring down his government. And one by one, his opponents, as they stepped up to cast their votes, as each man passed by Robert Walpole, he made comments to the reporters around him. He said, you see that fellow? I saved him from the gallows. And you see that fellow there? I saved him from starvation. And I promoted that man's son to office in my government. And on and on he went with similar stories. You see, each parliament member that day who voted against Walpole had a reason to be thankful for him. But rather than express their gratitude, they buckled under the political pressures around them. The political pressures that were being applied. Those parliament members lacked the courage to say thanks. Do you have the courage tomorrow in the workplace? to express your thanks to God? Do you have the courage in your neighborhood with your friends to go public with your praise? When it comes to our relationship with God, don't ever let it be said that we buckled under to the political pressures around us or that we cowered away from giving our great God the credit he deserves. It takes guts to show gratitude. Don't just praise God in the safety of your church or in the quiet of your home. No, be courageous. And go public with thanksgiving and praise. Let me close with the story of a man who found the barn where Satan stored his seeds. There were seeds of discouragement, of doubt, of lust, of fear, of greed, of guilt. And it frightened to hear Satan boast of how his seeds would take root and grow in most any type of soil. The man questioned him. He said, are you sure they'll grow in any soil? That's when Satan had to backtrack. He reluctantly admitted, well, there's one place where I can never get them to grow, and that's in the heart of a grateful person. Oh, how we need to be thankful people. And how do we say thanks to God for all his benefits toward us? The psalmist speaks of three ways. Take up the cup of salvation. Enjoy every single blessing the blood of Jesus Christ has purchased for you. Call upon the name of the Lord. In times of trouble, run to your heavenly Father for help and pray. Pay your vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. In other words, go public with your praise and do it all. In Jesus' name. Amen.